Excellent. So, being Mother's Day, I thought I would uh, spend today having a look at one of the great mothers in the Bible. In fact, this is a person who I consider to be the hero of Mother's Day. Her name is Hannah, and her story comes in the first chapter of 1 Samuel, which is a book in the Old Testament. It's one of the history books uh, that tells the history of the people of God. All right, so I'm going to read the chapter. It's a little bit of a a longer chapter, but that's all right. We'll get through it, and then uh, we'll dive in and have a look. All right, so there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf, in the country of Ephraim. A lot of these passages start out a little bit like a Dr. Zeus book, don't they? They're just like, you know, the the region of Zuf is something that he would come up with. Anyway, he was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, son of Ephraim. Details you're really glad you had. All right, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina? Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat, which was a normal tradition, uh, to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina, Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance to the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, Then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, she thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I'm very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Well, in that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And she went back and began to eat again and was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. When they returned home to Ram- and then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. 
The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. So it's a pretty cool story, huh? I actually think this story is one of the, the cool stories in the Bible that shows the spiritual power and influence that women had in the biblical story. I mean, Hannah was given no prestige. She was given no value in society. She was often overlooked. And yet she is a spiritual powerhouse. She's got this unbreakable faith. And that faith sparked a pivotal moment in the history of the nation of God. As we will see soon, Samuel was one of the most pivotal uh, characters in the story. And this is the cool thing about Hannah. This, her influence didn't come through political clout like Esther, for example, or, or through uh, prophetic activity like Deborah. Instead, <clears throat> it happened through simply being a daughter of God and a mum. But in doing so in such a way with such faith that it changed the world. Now, the story opens uh, not with Hannah, but with Elkanah. Now, the Bible paints Elkanah as, well, he's, he's a good man. He's a good man. He follows all of the laws, and he, he worships God, and he's good. He may not be the smartest man, maybe not the sharpest tool in the shed, um, probably evidenced by the fact that he had two wives, which is interesting because the Bible doesn't actually condemn him for this. He, the Bible never says, thou shalt not have multiple wives. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not stick a metal fork into a, a power socket either. Sometimes he just wants you to make the smart play. <laughs> As my Bible college professor always said, name all of the happy polygamists in the Bible. Exactly. So Elkanah, maybe not the smartest, but good man. But uh, as we see, as we look, he's not the hero of the story. Hannah's the hero of the story. And in fact, I think as we explore her story, we see she is the hero of Mother's Day in multiple different ways. And the first way she is, is she is the hero of the want-to-be mother. Now, like we said last week, Mother's Day is not always the easiest day, is it? For a lot of people, it is a struggle. It's a painful Day. We mentioned last week about people who have troubled relationships with their mums. And, and that's a very real situation. But also there are people who want to be mums. But for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened. And I recognize that it's probably hard to hear this sort of thing coming from a guy. I recognize this is 
not an area where I have a lot of manner or authority uh, to speak from. But I want you to know, I'm not speaking from my own personal stash of wisdom or experience, but just sharing the words of Scripture and sharing, putting the spotlight on a story that really lifts up this woman, Hannah, hero of the want-to-be mum. And she's not the hero of the want-to-be mum because she ended up having a baby. I want that to be very clear. It's not because of the way her story ended. That was wonderful. But God is the hero of that part of her story. She is the hero of who she was in the middle of her struggle. In the middle of her difficulty, she shines a beautiful light. So let's have a look at her situation. I mean, obviously she desperately wanted to be a mum. But she couldn't. But not only that, she has been constantly taunted by this other wife in her family. And also, there's another wife in her family. And this is not going to be easy for her at all. She also has to deal with the shame of the cultural understanding of barrenness. And the cultural understanding at that time was that she would have been cursed by God. She must have done something wrong. There must be something wrong with her because God has not allowed her to have children. Interestingly, that actually the passage seems to back that up. It seems to say that the Lord prevented her from having children. In fact, a lot of um, the more accurate translations say that God closed her womb which raises a lot of very difficult questions. Is he doing something special here? Is he Because sometimes he will do something and we don't understand why and he will allow for a situation or even cause a situation so that he can show his glory. So he prevented her from having a child so that he can give her one down the track. We don't know. We're not given this information. Or maybe it's a more general way of expressing that everything happens under the sovereignty or control or authority of God. And even though he allowed it, it had to kind of get his sign off on it. We don't know. But what we do know is there is absolutely no evidence of A, that she did anything wrong, or she had a lack of faith, or anything that made her, that God cursed her because of that. That's not there at all. And B, there's nothing to say that this is not the pattern with which it now follows on through to today. That if, if a woman is not able to have a baby today, it's because of something like this. That is not the case. We don't get an answer for why. But it seems that the point of the story is not to actually ask the question, why was she not able to, but to show how she responded in the situation. And to get, shine a light on her beautiful response. But once again, we don't actually get her response first. We get Elkanah's response. <laughs> Bless his heart. He jumps in in verse 8, and um, he starts complaining that, you know, she's worried about nothing. You know, hey, you've got me. Am I not worth 10 sons? I don't know what he's thinking here, or if he is. He's probably not. But he's either trying to find a silver lining to this situation, or he's trying to show his own sort of personal insult that, you know, like, what am I, chopped liver? You know, you're not happy with me. You've got to have a kid as well. As men, we kind of feel some of these reactions sometimes. Neither of those two things are helpful, okay? That is not the way that we respond. 
So yeah, great guy, but not so much with the response there. But then we jump into Hannah's response, and I love this. The way that she sits in this space, in her pain, is just a beautiful picture, not just for for mums or want-to-be mums or women, but for everyone, for all of us, and the way that we engage and deal with the difficult things in our lives. Listen to what she does. I mean, she's been in this space for years with no reason to believe that anything's going to change. And yet what she does is she throws herself at the feet of God. She pours herself out to Him. She gives herself over and trusts in Him somehow. As it is, in deep anguish, she's crying bitterly. She prayed to the Lord. Even though everyone around in the culture is probably saying, He did this to you and it's your fault. She is just pouring herself out to Him. And again, in verse 15 and 16, you see the same thing. Deep anguish, crying bitterly, prayed to the Lord. I'm very discouraged. I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. I think this is this beautiful picture of just giving all of that to Him. Not as a statement of, if I just pray, I'll feel better and everything will be fine. But as a statement that there is only one person in existence who can handle the pain that I'm experiencing, and that is the Lord. So I'm going to go to Him. Now, you compare her response with other people mentioned in the Bible who are in similar situations. You may remember the story of Sarai, or Sarah, but before she had kids, she was called Sarai. And she was um, an older woman, and she had no children. She desperately wanted children. In fact, God had promised her children. And she was feeling this same pressure. But her response was to try and do something about it, which in and of itself is not wrong, but she went outside of the way that God had wanted to do it in order to make something happen. Hannah doesn't do this. Instead, she just pours herself out to the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. All right, so Hannah, hero of the want-to-be mother, and also Hannah is hero of the get-to-be mother as well. Now, her story ends beautifully. She has this baby boy, and it's a wonderful thing. And we recognize that not everyone's story ends that way. And what I want to make clear is that I do not believe that this story is a story to tell us how to get the things that we want. I don't think this is a a to-do model of if you follow these steps, then you will get the same miracle that Hannah got. This miracle was part of God's plan for the world not necessarily for ours. Now, do we pray in faith? Yes, absolutely. And we pray with you. And if you're in this situation, we want to pray with you. But the point of this story is not the, if you do this, you will get this. But the point of the story is to show what she did when she got this beautiful miracle. The reason Hannah is such a hero to us parents not that she got a miracle, but what she did with it. And she honored the vow that she made. She vowed that he would be dedicated to the Lord, and she followed through. Think how hard that must have been. How many years she'd been waiting for this child, and then to give him to the Lord. 
Now, this is an, uh, sort of a, an ancient sort of cultural thing of him going and living in the temple. This is not something that happens nowadays. So we're not offering an adoption service at the church here. And I know at 3 o'clock in the morning when your two-year-old has made a, a poop painting on the hallway wall, you're thinking, this is not such a bad idea. He can go live at the church. Sorry, not happening. But there is something about the symbology of this, of offering the lives of our kids to the Lord. Also, she praised the God who gave her the joy. She didn't forget him, which I think is really, really beautiful as well. Now, Samuel grew up to be one of the greatest figures in the Old Testament. He was really good. He'd come through a long line of pretty mediocre people in the biblical story. And, and Samuel wasn't perfect, but he was pretty good. And in fact, he sort of turned the spiritual tide of Israel away from chasing after idols and chasing after false gods, turning them back to God. So he did an amazing job. And I reckon that one of the big reasons he lived such a powerful life of faith is because he had such a powerful model of faith in his mother. He saw, and he would have learnt the story of what she had done. And while it may have taken him a little bit to kind of process why mum left me here, there's still this sense of like, this is a powerful act of faith. And he imitated and emulated that faith. And I want to say that because I want to say this. May we never, ever underestimate the power of a faithful life as an example to our children. Never underestimate how powerful a faithful life is as an example to our children. My mom's sitting in the back row and she has lived an incredible life of faith. And I've tried to emulate that. I've tried to live that out. I have that to look back on. So living this faithful life, drawing ourselves, constantly drawing ourselves closer to God so that we can be an influence on our children. This is going to be a big part of our focus for Church Northwest this year. We're going to really be focusing on drawing ourselves closer to God, growing in Him, becoming more like Him as we can. So watch for that this year. We're going to be diving deeper into Scripture and we're going to be learning through some stuff. We're going to go through the book of Romans this year, we're going to really deep dive into that, which is going to be exciting. Um, so one of the reasons we are doing that is so that we can leave a legacy and live a legacy for our children, not just in the future, but even right now, as they watch us. Um, and so as Samuel got from Hannah, they, they will continually live out that legacy in their lives. In fact, Proverbs mentions this in a very famous passage in Proverbs 22.6, where he says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older... They won't leave it. Now, that's not an every child does this. But this is, this is the wisdom that we have. If we can live that life of faith, if we can show them the pathway to God, they will follow in our footsteps. So the other thing that I really like about the story for Hannah is that she saw her son precious as he was to her. But she saw him not as her own, but as God's. This is God's child. I am being given the role of looking after him, of raising him, but it is God's 
child? Is there any greater example to us as parents for how to act and live with our children? God has given them to us. They are His. So we live in such a way to dedicate them to the Lord. Man, what a powerful example. What an amazing woman Hannah was. I have another story about my mom. <laughs> She's regretting coming along this morning. <laughs> but just a picture of this. When I came out of high school and went to Bible college to become a preacher, I didn't go anywhere close. I wasn't down at Laidlaw. I went to America. Because <laughs> why not? OE and a degree and a wife, as it turns out. So that was a good move. But anyway, so we went... Was no kids at home like they just bolted out of the nest so when i said to my mother i want to go to the states to go to bible college i know because she's told me that she felt the pressure of saying goodbye to her baby and how could you say goodbye to this right you know and so she's saying goodbye to her little baby boy and he's going to go off and she wrestled with god about this now, she wasn't exactly going to stand in my way or anything like that, but she could have laid on the guilt trip. She could have done any number of things, but she came to the point where she had given me to God and she encouraged me and helped me leave. And when I felt nervous about it, she encouraged me to go. So thank you, Mom. Living that life, having that attitude, I was not hers. I was God's. So Hannah, hero of Mother's Day. But you know what else? Hannah is the hero of the biggest story of God as well. Hannah has this fantastic piece of her story, which really foreshadows what Jesus was going to do a thousand years later. There's this really interesting um, verse in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. Um, Jesus has been teaching about this upside-down kingdom that Nate was mentioning earlier, about the way that his kingdom, his world was going to be like. It wasn't going to be normal. And so he says, the, those who are last now will be first then. And so those who will be first will be last. There's the switching around, which I always try to tell my kids when they push to the front of the line. No, first will be last and last will be first. So like, oh, great, I'll go to the back of the line so I can be first. I don't think you're getting it, but that's all right. There's this upside-down mentality about those who are prominent now. They're not going to be as important then. The things that make you important now, they don't matter then. The things that make you downtrodden or outcast or, or worthless in society's eyes, they are going to make you amazing in God's eyes, and you're going to be put on a pedestal, and you will be praised and exalted. This is what Jesus was saying a thousand years beforehand. This is what... Uh, Hannah says, as she prays in chapter 2, which I recommend you read that. It's a beautiful to us. Whether we are successful in this world, and we, maybe we're, we're doing great. Maybe we're on a pedestal already, and we're, things are going fantastic. Let us beware that those things aren't going to matter in the kingdom of God. Humble ourselves. And those of you who have gone through difficult times, who the world has set aside and cast aside and said, you have no value here. You have no worth to me. In the kingdom of God, you will be front and center. That's the way God does things. That's the beauty of this. And Hannah's story shows us this. All right, so... 
Looking back over the story, I think there are four practical things that we can do, things that we can take into our own lives, maybe as want-to-be mums or maybe as get-to-be mums or maybe as dads or whoever. It doesn't matter. These are things that we can take into our lives. The first one is to take a moment to recognize and have compassion on those who have the pain that Hannah had. This is a great story to not just rush through to the part where God fixes everything, not to rush through to the end and the happy ending and the credits roll and everybody's little happily ever after, because that is not the reality for everybody in this world. There are difficult times that people don't always get to climb out of. There is a promise of a future world where Jesus comes back and their pain will be gone at that moment and we can celebrate and, and rejoice in that. But right now, there is pain. And this story helps us to engage in the story of people's pains, to sit with them, to recognize how they feel, not just to move forward. I think churches traditionally have not done this very well. We want to preach a gospel of hope we want to preach hope about what Jesus has done and how he's going to fix things and how we're going to get, you know, heaven. And, and that's good. That is true. And we should never stop preaching that. But we must also first slow down and see and hear and feel the pain of the people that we're around and our own pain as well. So this is a good reminder of that. And then secondly, which kind of follows on that, it teaches us, this story teaches us to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus when we are under the weight of pain. I love the verse in 1 Peter. Very simply, it says, Give all of your worries and cares to God, for He cares for you. And I tried that. I don't know if you tried that. I lay all of my worries at the feet of Jesus, and then I walk away, and there's some string seems to be tied, and they just keep following me back. But we keep going, and we keep doing it, and we keep giving ourselves to God. The third one is, as parents, there's a couple of lessons here that Hannah gives us. One is that faithful life is an example of our kids. It encourages us to keep living for God so that our kids will see what we do. You know the whole, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, we know that doesn't work. So we encourages us to live a life so they will do as we do, and that will serve them well. And also, too, to see our children not as our own, but as God's. And finally, I want us through the story to be encouraged or inspired that a posture of humility and faithfulness, a posture of humility and faithfulness, even without recognition, can still make a powerful impact in God's kingdom. Don't miss that. You don't have to be up here talking to be recognized as powerful in the kingdom of God. A life of humility and faithfulness can do incredible things to change the world. So happy Mother's Day. I hope the story of Hannah, the hero of Mother's Day, encourages and inspires you and all of us to just live out that example. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for Hannah. I thank you for giving us her story it was a story. She lived that life. It was her story. But I'm just so glad that you've shone a spotlight on it so that we can learn and we can see and we can appreciate the faith that she had in a horrible situation. 
and when everything was against her. And no one really seemed, I mean, Elkanah, he loved her, but he didn't have the right things to say. He wasn't necessarily very helpful. And, and Lord, he, she just was in the pit. Thank you for showing us her faith to just continually fall at your feet. And may we follow that example. May we continue to live as she lived as a parent, that we would dedicate our children to you and that we would be inspired by that. So thank you, Lord, that you do give us hope. Thank you that you do give us a picture of people's pain so that we can recognize that in each other. But also you give us a picture of hope for the future. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.